The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. Because it was lockdown, I wasn't doing anything in the evenings. And so I was able to write day after day after day. And I got into a real flow and I enjoyed it a lot. And I think it taught me a lot as well, because now I could do that for my next book. I don't have to fit it in piecemeal. And I think my writing journey has been a journey of garnering more respect for what I do and not thinking like, oh, I've just got to put it in elsewhere and not place any demands on anyone else's time. Whereas now I ring fence allotted writing time for myself and that's really helped. And welcome back to The Writer Files. I am still your humble host, Kelton Reed, wishing you pages, patience and perseverance per usual. Award-winning author and broadcaster, Elizabeth Day, talked to me candidly about how to fail, hanging out with Gloria Steinem, genre equality, and how she wrote her compeller, Magpie. Elizabeth's a novelist, lauded journalist, and host of the chart-topping podcast, How to Fail, which has featured guests including Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Gloria Steinem, and Brene Brown. Her latest novel, Magpie, was published in the UK in September 2021 and became an instant Sunday Times bestseller. Described as a taut, psychological suspense novel about a perfect couple and their seemingly perfect roommate, bestselling author Matt Haig called it a clever, suspenseful read with a brilliant central pivot. Elizabeth was a staff feature writer for The Observer for eight years, and her writing has appeared in The Telegraph, The Times, The Guardian, New York Magazine, Vogue, Grazia, L and Vanity Fair. She's also a contributing editor to Harper's Bazaar. In this file, Elizabeth and I discussed how failure makes us human, cooking pasta for Stanley Tucci, why we don't call Jonathan Franzen a domestic thriller writer, writing about the struggles women go through to become mothers, booking an Airbnb to finish her book, and a lot more. Stay calm and write on. And don't forget, you can always support this show by heading to writerfiles.fm, or you can also sign up for email updates, get links to merch, and other resources for writers. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click follow to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published, and drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to help other writers find us. And we are rolling once again on The Writer Files, and I am honored today to be joined by 
best-selling and award-winning author and podcaster Elizabeth Day is joining us. Elizabeth, thanks for taking the time to do this. Uh, where are you? Where on earth are you? <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. And I think I'm in London. I'll just check outside the window. Yes, I am. <laughs> so <laughs> okay. I'm in my home in South London. And how are you feeling given the uh, that today is the U.S.? publication date of your latest how are you how are you feeling about everything i'm feeling thrilled and nervous i think um i i love the states and i spend a lot of time on the west coast in la and i always feel that i am the best version of myself when i'm there and i have always wanted my books to be published for that particular audience and so it's a real privilege to think that magpie will soon be on the shelves and i think as well I mean, maybe you could tell me if this is right or not, but I think that I write in quite a filmic way. And mm. I always think quite visually and cinematically as I'm writing, I kind of visualize the scene first. And obviously LA being the home of Hollywood and America just generally having been so much a part of my cultural education growing up, it really just is such an honor. So yes, thrilled and, and excited and a little bit nervous and apprehensive too. <laughs> Yeah. And as you said, that cinematic quality of your work translates probably quite well to any size screen. But talk a little bit about, do, do you have an adaptation that work, works presently? You were talking um, about visiting the States, and I'm sure that uh, you've been courted by <laughs> Los Angeles and, and Hollywood. Um, well, that's very generous of you. I do have a few adaptations in the works. So um, Magpie has been optioned, but actually by a UK production company and The Party, which was my previous novel, has been optioned and there's some super exciting stuff happening there that I can't talk about. And then uh, mm. How to Fail, which, so you mentioned earlier, I've got a podcast called How to Fail, which is all about what we learn from failure. And I interview people every week about three times they might have failed in life. But I also wrote a memoir off the back of that called How to Fail, Everything I've Ever Learned from Things Going Wrong. And that I am attempting to adapt myself into uh, a kind of dramedy, basically. And that's hmm. been a fascinating learning process because I've never written a script before. So as much as I consume a lot of film and TV, I'd never actually tried writing it. And it's been hmm. a really steep, but ultimately enjoyable learning curve. Yeah. And, and going back to the podcast, you've got this chart-topping podcast that uh, has been around, I think, for what, three or four years now? That's right. I launched in July 2018, so almost four years. And it's a, it's a pretty amazing show. And congrats on the um, success of the podcast. You did come from a broadcasting background, is that correct? I actually came from a print journalism background. So um, I was a Sunday newspaper journalist for, I think, 16 years. Like I went straight into that after university. And I worked, as I say, exclusively for a kind of weekly paper, various different kinds. And I was often sent to interview celebrities who had something to promote. So if anyone listening has ever seen the film Notting Hill, starring Hugh Grant and Julia Roberts, mm -hmm. there is a very famous scene in that movie about a movie junket where journalists are just sent to ask the same questions of the film stars. Uh, like hour after hour. And I did a lot of that kind of stuff. And I just realized after a while that all of the interviews that were printed were focused on success and achievement. 
And after a while, I got quite tired of that kind of journalism and mm. I quit my job and I went freelance. And this coincided with a tumultuous time in my personal life. So I got divorced. I got into a new relationship that failed. And I felt like a failure in my personal life. And so these two things kind of came together where I was like, wouldn't it be interesting because failure is actually what makes us human. It's a sort of shortcut to understanding who someone is, I think, when you talk about the stuff that went wrong. And I was yearning to do a kind of more broad type of interview. And so the idea for the podcast came about. And then I launched it in July 2018 with no expectation. And I have been so thrilled and pleasantly surprised to see what an, what a chord it struck with other people because I think everyone wanted to talk about vulnerability. And off the back of that, I got some broadcast jobs. So it was that way around. So as well as writing books, I also do these other things. Okay, that's cool. How they um, kind of dovetail into one another. Yeah. And of course, you are an award-winning novelist and a best-selling author. And your most recent is Magpie. Yes. And um, as of the publication of this show it will be available in store in store so yeah it's pretty fantastic you know all of this press that you've gotten has been um you know you got some rave reviews and and so it, it would seem that both the the podcast and kind of the relationships that you've made there have kind of bolstered some of the relationships that you've made in the writing world but yeah, I thought I, I thought it was cool that you know not only are you like rubbing elbows with people like Phoebe Waller Bridge and and Chloe Steinem and some amazing authors like Kaz Kazuo uh, Shiguro and Malcolm Gladwell, uh, Brene Brown, you know that your colleagues are kind of coming out of the woodworks also to uh, talk about your latest and and I thought and how do you know Stanley Tucci? Um, I see that uh, he blurbed your book as well. So yes, it, I am incredibly blessed that I get to meet all of these people through doing the podcast. And again, I set it up without expectation. And because of all my time as a journalist, I, I had got some contacts. So I was able to kind of put in some favours for the first eight guests who were kind of friends or contacts. And Phoebe is a dear friend of mine and she agreed to be my first guest. So that's a pretty great first guest Amazing. to have. And so I was very yeah. lucky. And then How to Fail just snowballed. So people would come to me and quite often because I am an author, a book publicist would come to me and say, okay, so Gloria Steinem's got her new book out. Would you be interested? At which point the only <laughs> answer is yes, she is my hero. And so that's how that all happened. And I, I think because the construct of How to Fail is that we are being our authentic selves. And so it's a shortcut to a, quite a deep friendship if you get on with someone. And so I met Lisa Tadeo through doing How to Fail and she's become a very good friend. And she was actually, I think, the earliest reader of Magpie after mm. my agent and editor and gave the most phenomenal quote. And I'm so grateful to that. I like to think it would have happened anyway, like with, without my, with, hopefully the writing stands on its own merits. Yeah. But Stanley Tucci came about uh, in that way because he had his wonderful memoir, Taste, coming out. And I was offered him for the podcast. 
And he is married to a phenomenal woman called Felicity Blunt, who is a brilliant literary agent. And so again, we sort of knew each other from the literary scene. And then Stan came on the podcast and we got on really well. And they lived down the road from us and we ended up going for dinner. And then they've come round to ask for dinner. And my husband, who's half Italian, was brave enough to cook for Stanley Tucci. He cooked pasta <laughs> for Stanley Tucci. And uh, it was so good. It was honestly like the best, he's, best pasta he's ever made. Um, that Stan oh took God. some away in a little Tupperware box the next day to take back to set. So no um, yeah, they are great people. <laughs> and um, it, all, it all just comes about from, from interviews basically and, and sort of connecting with people on that kind of level. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books, and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview, and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Well, as we talk about so often on this show, you know, um, publishing is a, a business of relationships and people, and it's all very people-driven. And it's, it's, it's not a huge world, um, but it is pretty fantastic that you've had uh, the opportunity to rub elbows with with so many famous authors, of course, and mm. and that interview with Brene Brown, by the way, was was pretty amazing. Um, congrats on that one, as I'm also a fan. But I thought, uh, and of course, Matt Matt Haig blurbed the book and said that Magpie is a clever, suspenseful read with a br brilliant central pivot. And uh, yeah, congrats on the work. We're calling it a taut psychological suspense novel about a perfect couple and their seemingly perfect roommate. That is until she threatens to destroy everything they've worked so hard to create. Um, talk a little bit about, you know, how you came to the psychological thriller, and you know, as I've heard them called at times, you know, or ha has it been called a domestic thriller or even an emotional thriller? Mm. 
Yeah, I have an issue with those terms, actually, because I don't think they'd be applied to a male author. And I feel sure. like the term domestic is so narrow in scope. And essentially, yeah. Jonathan Franzen, who I admire more than I can say, he writes a lot of domestic novels, but they are pitched as state of the nation. And the only thing that's different there is the gender of the author. So I'm not comparing myself to Jonathan Franzen at all, but I do think that we live in a culture that is so keen to categorize things and people. And mm -hmm. so Magpie does have thrilling elements, but by the way, this is absolutely not a criticism of you at all. It's just, it's just <laughs> a thing that I have observed. Magpie absolutely does have elements that I hope are thrilling to read, but it's not a conventional thriller in the sense that there aren't dead bodies, there isn't a grizzled detective. And also I have such respect for thriller writers and I think they're really hard to do well. And and I don't, I, I don't think I'd ever set out to write one because I think they're very complicated structures to get right. That's to say that I think Magpie is a blend of lots of different genres. So um, it, it, it does have thrilling aspects. It does have a relational aspect. And most of it takes place within the four walls of one house. And I did that quite deliberately because I wanted it to feel claustrophobic. And also because I wrote most of it during lockdown when mm. I was trapped within four walls myself. But I've come up with a new term, which I'm really happy with, which is a compeller. So I, I think Magpie's a compelling read, but the reason I shy away from calling it an out-and-out -out thriller is because I don't want people to be disappointed if they pick it up and they're like, oh, well, hang on a second. Or where's the dead missing girl? Because it's none of that. But mm -hmm. the reason that I came to it is because actually unusually for me, so Magpie is my fifth novel. And with every single previous novel, I have always started with character and with voice. And I have started writing a character without really knowing where I'm going to go. And then I sort of discover the plot along the way. But with Magpie, there were themes that I wanted to write about. And one of the major themes is, you mentioned there the idea of the quote unquote perfect life, which is of interest to me because of my podcast work as well, like what that actually constitutes, but also fertility. I have my own experience of infertility and of trying and failing to have babies. And I've been through lots of different kind of treatments and IVF and all sorts. And I felt that I had never seen that experience reflected in fiction in the mm. way that I might have liked when I was going through it all. So I knew that I wanted to look at that. And then it was about finding the characters who could best embody what I was trying to achieve. And as I talk about that theme, it's like, you know, it can be quite an uncomfortable theme. And if you haven't been through it yourself, you wouldn't necessarily want to pick up a book that is all about infertility. So I wanted to sweeten the pill. I wanted to make it accessible and unputdownable. And I wanted to get my message across, but by using the construct of this book that you really want to find out what happens next. And for me as a reader, one of the most satisfying plot devices is a twist. And so Magpie has one major twist halfway through and lots of other like mini twists along the way. And I really wanted to make that a good reading experience because I love it as a reader myself. And so my aspirations there were to do a twist as good as Gone Girl. And I, I think Gone Girl is just such a brilliant example of this kind of genre where you just, you're so compelled to keep on turning the page. And it's also saying something important about womanhood. So 
those are my rather lofty aspirations. And that's how I came to this sort of genre. Yeah, yeah. And I thought what The Guardian wrote was pretty, pretty nice. A tense, ultimately cathartic psychological drama. Uh, Day's cleverness lies in fashioning from these ingredients. A pacey, stylish thriller in which suspense is accompanied by a fist-pumping feminism Yay! <laughs> and perhaps toughest of all hope and and of course you have to feel pretty good about um getting that point across and yes of course i stumbled into the uh trying to categorize the book as so many authors um you know and that's why i asked the question you know what, yeah. what are you what are you calling the book because um you know i know that publicists and of course um marketing teams can can often try to spin something um, and then the author has a kind of a little bit different, different twist on it. Yeah. Well. And I so appreciate the question. And I also so appreciate it when readers come to this book because they are intrigued by the thriller label. It's just, that I don't want anyone to be disappointed. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So there are no dead bodies, but, um, but otherwise I hope it's riveting. <laughs> no spoilers, but, uh, yeah. Um, so let's talk about your process because you've talked about it at length in some interviews, and and I always find, um, you know, the the process of you know not only probably are you juggling a lot of things over there between the podcast and and doing press and and of course trying to keep up with uh, your fiction, but talk about kind of how you find the time mm. to get pages and and kind of what uh, what your most successful and prolific period kind of feels or looks like. Yes. So my routines, such as they are, have really changed over time because when I wrote my first three novels, I was a full-time journalist. And so I had to write my fiction in and around my full-time job. So I would write during my lunch break. I would write at weekends. And I got very used to writing in cafes because of that. And then I came to rely on that and I really enjoyed the murmur of other people's voices because writing can be such a solitary activity and mm -hmm. you can spend so much time in your own head that for me, I liked being around other people within reason. Um, and then <laughs> when I went freelance, I had more freedom in my own life to write when I wanted to. And that coincided with a period of time when I went to live in LA for a few months and again, I still wrote in a cafe. I actually wrote um, in the patio of Coffee Bean on Hillhurst, if anyone knows that, <laughs> that place. Uh -huh. And it's, you know, as an English person, there was just nothing more luxurious than being able to type in the sunshine. Um, and the only routine that I had was that every time I sat down, I would order a, a mug of green tea and I would have to write a thousand words. And it didn't matter how long it took. And it also crucially didn't matter how good or not I thought they were. I had to sort of suspend judgment while I was writing them. Because as you know, the great thing about writing a book is that you can go back the next day and edit those a thousand words. But one of the most important things is getting actual words on the page that exist and you can then move around. But with Magpie, as I briefly mentioned, because I wrote most of it in lockdown, the joy of the cafe was denied to me. And for six weeks, I, I couldn't write. And I, you know, the world was going through a collective trauma and that was part of the reason that I couldn't do much other than watch Tiger King. Um, but after six weeks, I 
decided that I would set up a cafe in the spare room of our house. And so I would make myself mm. a cup of green tea and every evening, and it was always the evenings, I'd never written an evening so much before, but every evening from 5 to 7 p.m., I would go and lock myself into our spare room and I would play coffee shop ambient sounds on YouTube. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and I would put my phone on airplane mode and I wrote. And it was a real golden hour for me. And because it was locked down, I wasn't doing anything in the evenings. And so I was able to write day after day after day and I got into a real flow and I enjoyed it a lot. And I think it taught me a lot as well because now... I could do that for my next book. I don't have to fit it in piecemeal. And I think my writing journey has been a journey of garnering more respect for what I do and not thinking like, oh, I've just got to put it in elsewhere and not place any demands on anyone else's time. Whereas now I ring fence allotted writing time for myself. And that's really helped. And the final thing that I'd say is that um, I still do the 1000 word uh, words count by the way. Um, but at the beginning and ends of books, if I can, I really like to go away somewhere and to book an Airbnb and just be in my own headspace for at least a week where I can just do that and only that. So it's really about carving out and ring fencing time for myself now, because I do do so many other things and they all fall under this arc of human connection, but it's very important for me to pay respect to my writing by sheltering the time that I need for it. I think that's pretty, pretty great and pretty important. And and it just speaks to the fact that, you know, no writer does it in, in the same way, really traditionally, um, you know, uh, and there's no need to any longer, (laughs) you know, we're not, we don't live in a nine to five world, you know, everyone, everything's distributed and remote and accessible, you know, at the push of a button. Exactly. And I think that a lot of wannabe writers possibly get put off by the idea that they have to have these strict morning routines that involve meditation and doing your morning pages and making a matcha latte and lighting a candle and getting up at 5.30 a.m. <laughs> that can feel quite overwhelming when you're faced with a blank page. And so I'm a huge advocate of just doing it. <laughs> as a famous yeah. sportswear brand once said, but just just doing it and trying to suspend your inner critic for the length of time that it takes you to write a certain number of words. Well, before we wrap up with your uh, advice to your fellow scribes on how to keep going, yeah, well, it sounds like you're a tea drinker, so I won't ask you the coffee or tea question. Um, I used to drink coffee and I was borderline addicted to it. And then I gave it up for health reasons because of the fertility stuff that I was talking about. I gave it up. Yeah. And for two weeks, it was hideous. And now I am like an inveterate green tea snob. So I love, well, my favorite tea is jasmine tea because it gives me like, it gives me as close yeah. to, a, to a caffeinated buzz as I can get, basically. <laughs> I love jasmine tea. Um, of course I'm a coffee, I'm a, I'm a, uh, coffee addict, mm-hmm. but, uh, I tend to drink, I tend to titrate the, uh, decaffeinated and caffeinated, uh, grounds, uh, as I go. Oh, so I, nice. I start, I start like with three quarters caffeinated and then I move slowly down to like a quarter caffeinated cup of coffee. 
Um, well, so I just life is balance. I mean, you're, <laughs> that is a very Buddhist approach to coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it like that, but now, now I will. My Buddhist coffee uh, consumption. Well, uh, yeah. So if you could have uh, dinner with any author from any era to your favorite, favorite spot in the world, who would you take and where would you take them? Oh, I live for this question. Okay. <laughs> I would take William Thackeray, who wrote Vanity Fair. I would take um, Elizabeth Jane Howard, who I don't think is that well known in the States, but she wrote a series of books called The Cazalet Chronicles. And she was married to Kingsley Amis. And she kind of put her writing career on hold while she was married to Kingsley Amis. And I think as a result, she's rather overshadowed by that reputation, hmm. by the fact that she was Martin Amis's stepmother. But her writing is amazing. And I think she'd be really fun as well. Um, Tom Wolfe, Bonfire of the Vanities was a really seminal book for me because I was a journalist at the time that I read it. And I just realized what he had done with that prose style was take the kineticism of journalistic reportage and put it into fiction. And I just thought it was genius. Uh, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, Americana mm -hmm. is one of my favorite novels. And also she would dress so beautifully that I just want to see what <laughs> outfit. Meg Mason, who wrote Sorrow and Bliss, has actually become a, a real life friend of mine. And <laughs> I already know that she's a wonderful companion. So I'd like her as well. Um, I'm just trying to think if there's anyone that I'll kick myself for not, for not choosing. Oh, can I have like Plato? Can I? Yeah, of course. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. You should have Plato. Okay. I'm going to have Plato all. because I just want to ask him, you know, how to live and how to be. Um, <laughs> and I love the Republic and, um, uh, actually I'm going to have Kazuo Ishiguro. You mentioned that I had him on a yeah. podcast and I really adored yeah. that conversation, but I've never met him in real life. We did a remote audio only recording. So yeah. I would really value the chance to meet him and I would take them all to, I would take, I'd take them to Little Doms on Hillhurst in Los Feliz in LA, or mm. I would take them to Claridge's for like drinks in Claridge's bar. I think that would be fabulous. Lovely. That sounds like quite a party. Um, uh, you can come too. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> I would love to be a fly on the wall for that interaction. Um, to, and to see especially how Tom Wolfe and Plato would get along. I mean, it would be uh, great, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, probably famously. After a few drinks, a few yeah. glasses of wine. Um, well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Of course, the latest is Magpie. Um, we will link to the book. We will link to your uh, home base there, which is elizabethdayonline.co.uk. Drop a link there. You're on all the socials and those can be accessed by your website, it looks like. Yeah. Pretty easily. Um, is there anything else you want to leave us with before you uh, drop a pearl of wisdom on, on writers? No, I just want to thank you so much for having me and ma and making the time. You know, you have amazing guests on your podcast. And so it's a thank real you. joy to be on this virtual bookshelf with them. So thank you for having me. Uh, well, we are honored and we appreciate your wisdom and your time. Um, yeah. So just maybe your advice on just how to persevere through tough times or good times. What I would say is that I firmly believe the reason we are put on this earth is to become the youest version of you. 
the usest version of us. There is no <laughs> one else on this big wide planet who has your set of experiences or your characteristics or your particular vision of what life is. And that's a beautiful thing. And anytime you doubt yourself, you might doubt the execution of your craft. You might doubt that you're not as good a writer as Shimavanda and Gozi Adichie, but put that out of your mind as much as you can because no one else has your particular set of experiences. So therefore no one else can write like you can. And it is worth pushing on through in order to share that with the rest of us because it will make the rest of us think and see differently. I love that. Thank you for your enlightened take on all things uh, writing, the writing life. Of course, we'll point out the, the fantastic podcast as well. Check out How to Fail with Elizabeth Day everywhere that podcasts can be uh, downloaded. So uh, yeah, again, thank you for your time and for your uh, wisdom. Thank you so much, Kelton. It's been a pleasure. Oh, and come back in the future. I absolutely will, if you'll have <laughs> me. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us for this file. And if you're a fan of the show, simply head over to writerfiles.fm for more. That's writerfiles.fm. 